This is Andrea. And Connie's here. And we've just been wondering about all things church or theology or discipleship or Jesus. In 20 minutes or less. This is Just just wondering. Wondering. Well, Connie, you're getting me excited. I don't know. Peter might have been my last pick. And I think discipleship goes deeper than that. That Jesus could sign. Really? Like, I just rose from the dead and like you're still on that. I thought we had moved past this by now. This week, we're wondering about the story of the woman at the well. Seems like a simple story on the surface, but there are a lot of deep things we can talk about. Mm-hmm. To me, it's a fascinating story. It's There's so many layers to the story. You know, you know the story I'm talking about. I do think that we could talk about it in so many different capacities. Before we get into it, though, let's recap the story just That's a little good. bit. Yeah. Yeah. This comes from John chapter 4, and we all know it as the story of the woman at the well. I wish we knew her name. I'm a little bit disappointed that the gospel writers often didn't give us the names of the women, but that's all right. So just to recap, you've already mentioned that Jesus and the disciples are traveling through Samaria, which is no man's land for good Jews. And they stop at the well and the disciples go into the nearby town to get food. And as Jesus is sitting there and he's hot and he's waiting for them to come back, a woman comes to the well and it's the middle of the day. It's the hottest part of the day. And she's alone and she's drawing her water and Jesus asks if she will give him a drink. And she kind of looks at him and says, you know that I'm a Samaritan, right? Uh, You probably shouldn't be asking me for a drink because Jews and Samaritans don't really associate with each other. And Jesus says, if you knew the gift of God, if you knew who was asking you for the drink, you would have asked me and I would give you living water. So, of course, this intrigues her and they start having this conversation. What is this living water? How can you say that you have this? Don't you know that this is Jacob's well and this is a big, powerful, holy place? And Jesus eventually ends up saying, the water that I give, you'll never thirst again if you drink it. And I think Thinking very concretely, the woman says, oh, well, give me some of that because that means I don't have to come back to this well every day in the heat of the summer and keep drawing water. And then Jesus kind of twists the conversation and says, okay, go get your husband and come back. And in what I think is this great moment of honesty, the woman says, well, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, you're right. You've had five. (laughs) And in fact, the one you're living with right now isn't your husband. And so she's going, okay, I can see that you're a prophet. What's going on? And they start having this conversation about holiness. It turns out to be this really deep theological conversation between Jesus and this woman where they talk about worship. And she says, you Jews say we can only worship here, but we Samaritans worship here. And Jesus says, listen, a time is coming when true worshipers will worship in spirit and in truth. It's not about this mountain or that mountain. It's not about place. And she says, I I want this. This is some of the things that I want. We know the Messiah is coming. We're waiting for him. And Jesus says, I'm him. I'm this Messiah. And right about this point is when the disciples come back with the food. And they are, let's just say, more than shocked to see Jesus talking to a woman, but talking to a Samaritan woman at that. Yeah. Yeah, it's a great story. And, and let's just finish the story because this is one of the fascinating aspects for me about the story. So she goes back into town and the message says, uses the word confusion. So however we would aptly describe it, she, here's the deal. She forgets her, the pot that she's brought out there. <laughs> so she's, so she's 
not done the task she came to do. <laughs> However, we know she's taking back something better than a pot of water. Uh-huh. But she goes back and she tells her village about this experience. That has lots of questions in it for me. And, and then John concludes the chapter with her saying, quoting her, come see a man who knew all about the things I did, who knows me inside and out. Do you think this could be the Messiah? And then the village goes out to see this man. Right. And I can't help but read this, this verse that, a, a, that decades ago a friend taught me to read this way out of her own years of abuse. Uh, sexual, emotional, physical abuse in her home. And she had felt so shamed and so unlovable until until she she read this story. Mm. And, he, and here's the way she taught me to read it. Come see a man who knew all about the things I did, who knows me inside and out, and loved me anyway. And that transformed her life. And it has changed my life in the way I read this this story. Connie, I think what you just touched on is really important because adding that little extra of this this man who knows what I've done and loves me anyway. You know, I think about the way that this woman was acting even when she came to the well. She came in the middle of the day. Bringing water from the well was women's work anyway, but most of the time we read that women come early in the morning or late in the evening when it's cool. It's a place where they gather and chat, almost like a modern day, you know, beauty shop in Mm -hmm. a small town. Go get our nails done. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And yet this woman has chosen by her own volition to come when she knows nobody else will be here, when she is all alone. Tell me why you think that is. Scholars have been speculating on this for years. Right. What's the typical answer that we normally hear? Yeah. It, it would seem that she was uncomfortable coming when the rest of the women came. I'm guessing by the way she was treated or the way they um, maybe even spoke to her mm-hmm. or re- regarded her in in less than a kind way. And so she thought, hey, I'm going <laughs> to... Why, why do I put up with this? I don't need to do I'll just go when I know nobody's going to be there out in this desert place. I'll go in the heat of the day. I'll go in the middle of the day. In this very religious society that the Samaritans were living in, mm-hmm. having the five husbands and then living with a man who isn't yours would have probably seemed like a really kind of radical, kind of out there thing to do. Mm-hmm. It really makes sense to me. I, I was always told pretty much exactly what you said, which is she was probably despised by the town. These people probably didn't treat her well because of this history, because of all the things that she's gone through. One of the things I wonder, though, is if we just look at the scripture, it gives us no indication that the people didn't like her. Right. And at the end... Why would they have listened to her when she gets back into town? First, who would give her an audience? Right. And for such an outlandish story that she's going to take back to them, bearing this theological insight, no, the Messiah wouldn't give this to a woman. Right. (laughs) And a despised woman. So what do you think? It makes me wonder if maybe she wasn't quite as despised as we've always heard. And I wonder if it was her own shame uh, that actually kept her from 
being a part of the group or the town. Mm -hmm. I've noticed that in my own life and in a few other people's lives, oftentimes I will assume other people think a certain way about me. I will assume that things are are being said or are happening based on how I feel about myself. Mm -hmm. But when I really boil down the facts, I realize this is my own shame. This is my own struggle and I'm placing it on Mm -hmm. other people. Yeah. And it keeps me from living the way I want to live. Right. When I'm covered in my own shame. Right. And we we all do that, right? We all do that. That makes sense to me. I mean, we don't know. Maybe the first four men she was with have all died. I mean, maybe she has a very valid reason for being with the fifth man. And when Jesus says, and you're not married to him, we don't know exactly what that means. Mm Mm-hmm. They, they haven't jumped the broom. I mean, what, what does that mean? They haven't been through the ceremony. Mm-hmm. We don't know. Jesus is expressing a concern for a relationship she is in, but maybe it's because of him instead of her. So right. you're absolutely right. A friend recently talked to me. We, we were talking about it's a friend to this person. It's, it's certainly an acquaintance of mine. And we were... Uh, I said, why do you think she doesn't come back to church? Because uh, she's at a place in her life where a community of faith who would love and care for her and be gracious toward her could be a real help in her life. And the the friend thought for a moment uh, about our mutual acquaintance, her friend, and said, you know, I really don't know, except that she is now divorced again. And maybe she's ashamed. Maybe she's embarrassed by that. And so I, th- I think to the point, it could be what she was feeling. Yeah. I think of even some family members that I've had that I know because of circumstances in their life or other things that they have been a part of have started experiencing this shame and they allow it to I think, keep them from living. Yes. I have family members who won't go to Walmart in their own town because they don't want to see other people because of the shame they're living with. So they'll drive 30 minutes to the nearest Walmart that's not theirs. And I think this woman who was willingly taking on coming to the well in the middle of the day, which I I also think we need to maybe picture that the well is not just like the central hub of the city. Mm -hmm. I imagine the well is on the outskirts of the city. So it's a little bit of a trek to get there. Right. So this woman in choosing to do this, she's not only choosing to make life harder for herself by coming in the heat and having to deal with that, but she's intentionally isolating herself from any form of community, anyone who could even start to accept her. And it sounds like even as Jesus reaches out to her at the very beginning, she still kind of pushes back at him. Mm-hmm. He's like, will mm-hmm. you give me a drink? And she's like, mm, you probably shouldn't be asking me for a drink. But Jesus, in his, I think, ever so gentle, ever so kind way, continued to kind of push and continued to kind of prod. Mm-hmm. And it does make me wonder, Connie, why do you think he asked her to go and get her husband? Was he giving her the opportunity to sort of lay bare, come clean, if you will? Mm-hmm. How he follows up is something that's equally fascinating to me, Andrea, that, that I look at our lives, and I, I look at us as church leaders, and I think, how well do we do this? And, and here's what it is. Here's what I'm wondering about in this story. Mm-hmm. The sin, the wrong, the brokenness in this woman— or her life, for whatever reason, maybe not her own doing, 
did not keep Jesus from having a level of conversation with her that he could have had with any rabbi. Now, that's pretty amazing. We don't wrap our minds around that because we aren't good Jews. But he has this revelatory theological conversation with her. And so how can I see people with the kind of value and and bearing and bareness that Jesus did and not let that interfere in my relationship with them in a totally non-judgmental way. I, I don't have the right to judge. Jesus did yeah. <laughs> as a divine. <laughs> Jesus did. And yet ch- chooses not to time and time again in Scripture. And here with this woman, doesn't. There's a relationship that gets established that accomplishes great good because he didn't let it get in the way. How often do we let it get in the way? Absolutely. I think there are two things that you just said that are really powerful. And the first one is, I know my own sin, even if nobody else does. I know where I come from. I know the things that I feel like make me broken or make me feel shamed. If I can know how Jesus looks at me, even in the midst of those things, then I should be able to look at everybody else with that mind of Christ, Mm -hmm. knowing that I have been forgiven or I am loved in spite of these things or that these are the ways that Jesus considers me. This is also the way that Jesus considers you and anyone else in this world. And therefore, I should be able to do that too. Instead of responding with judgment or with a comparison of, well, my sins aren't as bad as hers, whatever it may be, um, being able to offer that openness. There's this wonderful little book called The Life of the Beloved. I think it's by Henry Nouwen. Henry Nouwen's book. And he Mm -hmm. talks about Mm -hmm. when we understand our own blessedness, we can then offer that blessedness to other people. Mm -hmm. Understanding that that. Us being blessed is not anything about us. It's about God loving us. And God loves us in the exact same way that God loves everyone else. I think I think I can forgive someone else's sin or wrongdoing or brokenness if it's also mine. A lot easier than I can forgive someone's sin or wrongness or brokenness if I don't relate to it or I'm not tempted by it, have never been involved in it, have never done this thing. That's harder for me to forgive because we tend to be me first. Absolutely. And so if I see me first in it, then I can forgive it eat more easily. I think that's a real acute observation, Connie, because we're still making even our ability to forgive others about us. Even though I'm going to forgive you like Jesus tells me to, it's really only as long as I can understand and relate to whatever it is that you're going through. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's a really, that's a really amazing thing that if I can't understand it, then I'm not going to be able to forgive it or let it go. Whereas if I can get past myself and my own issues and my own struggles and see that person, any person, the way Jesus does, and whatever I'm going through doesn't matter because I still know that whatever I've got Jesus loves me anyway. Mm-hmm. So whatever they've got, Jesus loves them as well. And, and maybe it maybe it tends to be in the circle of things that involve our human sexuality. We definitely see that with this woman, don't we? Well, we do. And I think we see it because we don't know how to talk about human sexuality. We're, we're not comfortable with it. We aren't easily raised well with it. I mean, my lessons about human sexuality as a, as a young person 
12-year-old female, were basically taught to me out of a little paperback book that my mother handed me one day and said, here, you might want to read this. <laughs> and I opened it to shocking pages about what was going to happen to me when I was, oh, 12 and a half or 13. I mean, that's really awkward, right? Right. And, and as adults, we often don't do much better at talking about human sexuality than, than we were 12 years old. So, yes, and that's, that's part of at the heart of this story. And at the very surface, the fact that she's a woman and Jesus is a man, but it obviously goes much deeper than that. Right. Okay, Connie, so you're, you're sparking something in me. Mm-hmm. So I want to take us in a little bit of a different direction. Oh, dear. But kind of along okay. these hang lines. Hang on, hang on. Okay, so everybody hold on tight. All right. So... First of all, understanding the culture of this time, we know that women were treated like property. Mm-hmm. Women didn't have the right to just fall in love and choose their own husbands. That's not right. how this worked. Right. right. It was uh, their fathers picked for them. It was a dowry. Mm-hmm. If they had a husband who died, then that husband's brother was supposed to then take mm-hmm. them on as their wife. And the women did not get a say in this. Right. So I think it's quite possible what you mentioned at the very beginning that this woman could be in these circumstances and it was absolutely no fault of her own. Mm-hmm. If she didn't have the right to choose, right? she's had four husbands or five husbands and that's maybe not of her doing. She might be the victim in this story. right? But growing up, every time I heard this story, she was not painted as the victim. She was painted as the whore. Mm-hmm. She was painted as mm-hmm. the loose woman that none mm-hmm. of us ever want to follow this example. And mm-hmm. isn't it amazing that Jesus loves her even though she's this horrible human being? This is one of the reasons why I think we need more women in ministry. <laughs> we need more women who can look at stories like this in yeah. the Bible yeah. and say, I'm not sure we're understanding this woman accurately. I'm not under- sure that we're understanding all of the tension and everything that goes into it. And even being able to read this not from the perspective of the man who wrote it or the male pastors that we often hear preaching about it but women who understand what it's like to deal with shame to not always be the masters of our own fates to often be at the mercy of other people Mm -hmm. i think it brings a whole new element to this and other stories in scripture when we look at this woman not as if she is the one who has done something wrong she might be the victim of a system that treats her like she is nothing. Mm -hmm. So when she finds this Jesus who tells her that she is something and that he loves her and that he is with her, all of the shame or all of the anything else that was on her falls. I imagine it falling off of her as she's dropping that water (laughs) jug to run to the rest of the village to tell them about him. Yeah. There's a freedom that Jesus brings. Mm. We often only talk about that freedom as if it's freedom from sin, Mm -hmm. but it's freedom from so much more. It's freedom from shame and freedom from systems Mm -hmm. and freedom from other people's judgments or opinions of us. And I think there's, there's something powerful about that. Yeah. I love the fact that at the end of the story, what's practical is not important anymore. Getting my pot of water back to town, it's not important anymore because... Guess what's really important now? What's eternal? Exactly. This woman is one of the first evangelicals, one of the first yes. women yes. practicing evangelism that we've seen mm-hmm. in Scripture. Yeah. Won't be the last time, by the way. There's lots of stories of Jesus and how Jesus continues to turn the world upside down in regards to many things, including the place of women and role of women. Connie, I think that's a conversation that we should come back to sometime. I think we should too. How about our next episode? 
we carry some of these further. Yeah. It's a to be continued. All right, I'm ready. Are there things that you're just wondering about? Connie and I would love to hear from you. Send us an email with your thoughts and we'd be happy to talk about it on the podcast. We're grateful to Charles Smith for helping us record these episodes and to Hook Sounds for allowing us to download this music titled Save the World. <laughs>